Well, it's an honor to be here this morning with you um, to hang out. It's a blessing anytime that we get to be under the Word of God together. I get the privilege of wrapping up your year on the final fruit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, Father. You are God and we are not. And so, Father, this morning, we pray that the world will disappear. We pray that we will sit under your wisdom. We pray that you would open our hearts and open our minds and clear our ears to hear what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, while I was looking into self-control, I came across an article, a study, and it was conducted with and included 200 men and women wearing pagers. These pagers would go off at random intervals seven times a day, at which point the subjects were to report whether they were currently experiencing some sort of desire or whether they had just felt a desire. 10,000 momentary reports were tabulated from morning until midnight. And it turns out desire was the norm, not the exception. Go figure. About half the time people were feeling some desire right when their pagers went off. And another quarter said desire had just been felt. The researchers concluded that people spend at least a fifth of their waking hours resisting between three to four hours a day desires. Ladies, do we need a research statistics to tell us that we have uncontrolled desires throughout the day? <laughs> Who here would not, if we were to wear a desire beeper, wouldn't be haggard by the end of the day? I mean, I, do we not know? I desire to clean the house. I desire security. I desire my children to be in bed during their naps. I desire for my husband to understand me. I desire children to obey the first time. I desire kids to get along for an hour. I desire a full night's sleep. I desire to go potty. I desire a non-speed shower. I desire for everyone to listen to me as I have all the right answers and life would be so much easier if they did. Okay, we haven't even got to breakfast. Self-control, the very word, can make our bodies tighten, our mouth water, and we start twitching. It's two words that have been preoccupied with since the beginning of man. The fall was caused by lack of it, and ever since, we have been trying and struggling to figure out exactly what it means to be self-controlled. As a Christian, keeping self-control is challenging sometimes, isn't it? Especially since we're living in a time where the world appears to have none. Yet Paul in Galatians writes that it is evidence of a spirit-controlled life. Truthfully, when I received the invitation to speak with all of you on self-control, my first response was laughter. How can I talk about that? Really, Lord? I mean, let's just be honest. We all know there are areas of our lives that we can be more controlled in than others. You can have a handle on your tongue, but not have an ordered day. You can be controlled in finances, but struggle with social media. You can be kind at church, but extremely annoyed at the grocery store clerk. If you're like me, there just always seems to be an area that I can't get a handle on. Sometimes I can find myself reasoning. Do I have to be disciplined in every area of my life? Can't I just have this one where I let my hair down and I let go? Again, if we're honest, we know the answer to this. When we let go in that one area of our lives, other areas start to tumble. James speaks to this. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. So this morning, I come to you as a fellow soldier in the battle. So as Chris says when he wants us to pay attention, I hope you ate your oatmeal this morning. 
Point number one, the gospel first in self-control. The fact that the gospel comes first signifies that A, genuine fruit preservation only comes through regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 7 through 8. The mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, in a group this size, there is great possibility that there are still some walking in their own might. So I think it's important this morning to take a minute and briefly mention the heart behind Paul's writing Galatians. You see, the very heart of the gospel was being undermined by false teachers. The gospel of grace was being trampled on, and in its place, the gospel of works was rising up. Does that sound familiar? This sort of thing continues today. Man's plot is not new. We struggle for control. Paul wants to make sure that we understand that salvation in Christ is the only means to be set free from bondage of sin and the law. He also speaks of the freedom God gives his children to live out the faithfulness and obedience in the power of the Spirit. A Christian life is a life lived under the direction and by the power of the Spirit. Paul doesn't want his readers to miss this. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these things are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. That's the key. Did you hear it? So that you may not do the things that you please. Paul understood the inner fight for control. He was familiar with both walking in the spirit and walking in the flesh. Hence, he gives us clear insight into the inner battle, which we read in bewilderment in Romans 7, saying, that's me. Oh, yeah, that's me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but not the ability to do it. Paul was not trying to say that he was incapable of doing anything good. He was trying to say he is incapable of completely fulfilling the requirements of God's law on his own. Although a Christian's life is warfare, victory and freedom are always possible, but not so for the unbeliever. So ladies, I implore you this morning, have you been trying to manifest these fruits that the ladies have been speaking on all year to no avail? Perhaps the reason you have been unable to change is that you have not experienced God's gracious love in Christ. Have you repented of the sin of self-sufficiency, acknowledged Christ as Lord, defeated death and rose, that he paid the penalty you could not pay? Have you exchanged all that you are for all that he is? I'm going to plead with you to speak to your mentor moms if you're struggling with this. Do not let your pride keep you from freedom in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is what God desires our lives to exhibit. And with the Holy Spirit, it is possible. Point number two. The inner fight. If we are going to see the beauty of self-control, we need to start with defining it in understandable terms. Piper states, Christian self-control is multifaceted. It involves both control over one's behavior and the impulses and emotions beneath it. It includes our minds and our emotions, not just our outward actions but our internal state. Pastor Chris, in his new book he just put out, Let the Women Be Women, takes this multifaceted 
fruit, and he sums it up nicely. He says, self-control is the choice to follow the word of God over any other commitment, goals, schools of thought, or friends. He says, a woman with self-control will sacrifice immediate gratification in order to honor God. Did you hear it? Chris says, the key to self-control is eternal reward, not temporal desire. A, taking the responsibility to control ourselves. Believers are to submit to the will of God and walk in the spirit. A walk in the Bible is often a metaphor for practical daily living. The Christian life is a journey and we are on a walk. We are to make consistent forward progress. To walk in the spirit means we yield to his control, we follow his lead, and we allow him to exert his influence over us. B, Christ is the ultimate example of self-control. We see this in Philippians 2, 3 to 8. You guys are familiar. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in which Christ Jesus, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider himself equality with, with God. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what are we called to do? Take up our cross and follow him. Self-control is not only an act of denial for the believer, but it is an attitude of love. A love that is spirit-led and controlled for the betterment of the receiver. Today, there seems to be no middle ground. We either see self-control as restrictive I can't eat gluten. I want to buy those shoes and I can't. Or we say, the other side, we're puffed up. I exercise regularly. I'm on my kids with biblical training. Then the awe of God starts to dim and self is elevated. Oh, we believe it's spirit-filled, but we are moving and shaking and deciding in our own might what this Christian life should look like. Both are dangerous. Both are self-deceiving and neither are biblical self-control. See, the controlling of self isn't just a behavior issue, it's a heart issue. Our behavior reveals our heart. Do you love self or do you love God? How about a little harder? Do you trust self or do you trust God? Proverbs 4.23 instructs believers to watch over their hearts with all diligence, for from, from it flows the springs of life. When Solomon is referring to guarding the heart, he means the inner core of a person, the thoughts, the feelings, the desires, the will, the choices that make a person who she is. MacArthur states the heart commonly refers to the mind as the center of thinking and reason. If we want the fruit of a self-controlled mind, then we must learn to trust God over ourselves. Proverbs 28, 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Scripture tells us the mind of a man reflects who he really is, not just simply the actions or the deeds and the words. A good man said Jesus in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of his heart, he brings forth good things. Romans 12, 2, 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Our self-indulgent culture has been very successful in impressing its ideologies right into the church. As a result, we have become lazy in renewing our minds. Jerry Bridges explains, I seldomly want to study the Bible when I first begin a study. There are too many other things that will mentally be much easier. A necessary expression of self-control then is to set myself down at the dining room table with a book and a notebook and get at it. Now, thankfully, as believers, we have not been left alone in this endeavor. But walking by the Spirit is not simply a matter of passive surrender. A believer who is not actively involved in resisting evil is, and seeking to do good is not being led by the Spirit, no matter how much she thinks she has surrendered. Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks within himself, so he is. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. Quick paraphrase, we are masters of acting one way and thinking another. Take it from me, it is always easier to build a habit of self-control than to retrain a habit of self-indulgence. Now you might ask, what about unbelievers? I mean, they do seem to successfully hold their tongues and stop drinking and love their husbands, even teach their children manner. Isn't it true that non-Christians can have self-control? Yes, it is. But as we have been discussing, the difference is the heart motivation. When an unbeliever improves some aspect of her life, it is for an inferior motive, selfish. It's so she can feel better about herself. She can be more moral. She can be more attractive but she will still be under the dominion of sin. Don't be deceived. Christians can easily idle swap also. No one can have freedom from the bondage of sin on their own. You will just be replacing one idol for another if done in your own willpower. That's why in Galatians 5.16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Point number three, loving your family with self-control. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. Proverbs 25, 28. I can testify to you that you are the one who is going to make it most difficult for you in the years ahead. It is not your husband or your children now, I'm not saying there aren't going to be tough or unique circumstances the Lord will allow, but I know firsthand that the main struggle you will face as you submit to God's will in your marriage and parenting will be you. How can I say that confidently? Because the flesh sets itself against the spirit. A, self-control is a trained fruit. 1 Corinthians 9.24 it states, do you not know that you, those who run a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Growing Christ-likeness does not happen on its own. We must cooperate with God by exerting responsible and serious effort to follow what the Holy Spirit teaches. Just as a runner must train for his race, know the rules, and commit to winning, a believer must endure hardship 
exercise enduring faith in the word of God and keep their eyes on the goal. B, self-control is an attitude of love towards our husbands. Okay, let me ask you a question. Who here continuously thinks before you act? Or have you ever said something you regretted? Or tried to recant something once it's left your mouth? I believe all of us can understand what James is talking about when he states, but no one can tame the tongue. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. With it comes blessing and cursing. We have a lot of power in influencing our husbands as their helpers, and we do this primarily by our words. Or maybe we should by our silence. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Proverbs 31, 10, 26. But how can we control the thousands of thoughts that enter our mind each day before they're on the tongue? How can we be self-controlled? Well, Paul explains. Take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. How many of you have ever received a practical gift which screamed, you don't know me, you never listen, and the granddaddy of all lives, you don't really love me? Tim and I are complete opposites. When it comes to gift giving, he is practical and I'm thoughtful. I absolutely enjoy giving him surprises. It doesn't have to be anything big, a note in his lunch, maybe pick him up something at the grocery store. I like thinking about him, his likes and his dislikes, and it brings me joy to love him that way. Now, Tim, he occasionally brings something home for me, and in the early years of our marriage, I felt he was being insensitive because he didn't make more of an effort to be thoughtful, which led to many unkind conversations. Then, through the word of God, I was convicted about my expectations, and he showed me, I assume a lot. We don't do that, do we, ladies? <laughs> we assume we already know what our husbands are thinking and how they're going to react. And so we have a tendency in marriage to want the other one to act first and change first. But we are called in humility and gentleness with patience to bear one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. So I learned that Tim's gift giving is insightful. Now, I rarely research for a new appliance in our home. You, if you knew me well, you'd understand. Eh, not my interest. But Tim loves it. And one year for my birthday, he surprised me with a new vacuum. Okay, now some of you thought, cool. And others thought what I thought. Very impersonal and lots of assumptions. <laughs> so when I received the practical gift, I quickly started to take my thoughts captive. That if he really knew me, a relaxing day or vacation would have been nice. But in appreciation, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. I opened my mouth, lovingly thanked him, and accepted I can now vacuum in style. <laughs> oh no, it didn't end there. Because apparently my new vacuum came with a free instructional demonstration. He proceeded to put me through an orientation on proper use of its attachments along with cleaning filters. As I was graciously waiting for this intriguing talk to be finished, I was reciting verses in my mind like James 1.26, if you claim to be religious, 
but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself. Our thoughts become our words, Proverbs 18. Philippians 2, he's more important than me. Proverbs 29, 11, fools vent their anger, but a wise quietly hold it back. So thinking we're done, he announces he would like me to show him. Show him I clearly understand the intricacies of this device by demonstrating what I learned. Well, you can imagine. I had no idea how to detach, connect, filter what, where. I was too busy holding my tongue. I felt set up before the orientation even started. As usual, Tim didn't flinch or get frustrated as if he knew there would be many practice runs before I could articulate and demonstrate appropriately. So three full runs and an hour later, I not only had a new gift for housework, but responsibilities and expectations on usage and cares. Whose birthday is this anyway? Oh, Tim surprises me, that's for sure. But my surprises and his are completely different. Being different is not right or wrong. It's not sinful to have a different opinion than yours. However, if your differences aren't handled properly, it can become a sinning conflict. Ephesians 4.3 speaks to restraint. Be eager to maintain the unity in the spirit of the bond of peace. In practicing self-control, I have learned that to be thankful for differences in my varying relationships. In embracing the differences in my marriage, I have learned that those one-woman training seminars are a wonderful insight into just who this man really is, just how uniquely he's wired and designed. They are a gift given in the moment by the Lord. Will I dismiss its value or will I submit to the unseen training taking place in my own life? Hebrews 5.14 but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I have learned it is important for Tim to feel as though he made a good purchase, not only financially, but the, in the caring for our family. His stewardship in this area has saved us money over the years, where I could have easily been indulgent and uncontrolled. And praise God, he likes to vacuum and use every tool correctly, because our house wouldn't know those details if it was up to me. The Lord made him to be very different than me, and it is no way the justification that I get to use in being uncontrolled or defining what love looks like. The Lord gets to define those, and in obedience of loving others more than self, in the obedience of servanthood, I get to enjoy the absolute quirkiness of life without taking it personally at every turn. I have found there to be discovery in self-control instead of assumption and contentment instead of unfilled desire. Self-control is not just for the betterment of others. It is tied up with the blessing of oneself. Ladies, you will find most of the struggles that we face in marriage are not intentional or personal. If we just heed Matthew 7, 5, take the log out of your own eye before you can clearly see the speck in your brothers. I would say 99.9% <clears throat> of the trouble my mouth gets me into is when I have not been self-controlled in my own day. Maybe time, maybe food, maybe responsibilities, fatigue. I can then find myself lashing out at others. 
We must be careful not to label differences as flaws because of our own expectations. I have the feeling we miss many opportunities to really know our husbands and enjoy them because we're blinded by self-expectation and the busyness of life. When we choose to have a self-controlled response in the face of conflict and frustration, it quiets the rage and the angst in both our own heart and the person we're communicating with. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Fruitfulness in listening and communicating in grace can take time, but the Lord is trustworthy in our submission. From me comes your fruit, the Lord states in Hosea 14.8. If your husband fears criticism, emotional conflict, or a demeaning response from you, his typical reaction will be to slip into self-preservation mode which may manifest in several ways, including isolation, building walls of protection, angry retaliation, or simmering resentment, all of which will destroy your marital unity and intimacy. Proverbs 27, 15 through 16, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Husbands have our need for our affirmation. This is the heart of a helper and why God said it's not good for man to be alone. Give at least one encouraging statement or more daily and watch him come out of hiding. Thank you and please are not just for your little ones. And I appreciate can go a long way in the mundane of daily living. Start building those self-control muscles. I put the THINK acronym on the bottom of your handout. You could start there. Use that if you're not familiar with it. Okay, C, self-control is an attitude of love towards our children. <clears throat> Rachel Jankovic says, Mothers of little people have the most challenging and most important job on earth. But it is a humble job, and it takes the eye of faith to see the fruit of a coming generation of faithfulness. And in Ephesians 4, 6, 4, we see the command for parents to bring up the children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Padilla is discipline in Greek, and it comes from the word bias, which means child. And it refers to the systematic training of children. This is the biblical way. This is the loving way. This is the best way. Until tested or measured, growth is rarely seen happening consistently in any of us including our children. That is why attentive consistency is vital in the training of youngsters. I get concerned for new moms today as the different fads of parenting philosophies come in and out of the church. Parenting in faith is done dependent on the Bible as the authority, trusting the one whose image they're made in to direct your, principle, your parenting principles. The Bible is not a pick and choose what works for me and my family book. As parents, we cannot expect full results from the whole counsel of God if we're only listening to half the counsel. When we are new moms, we can be so overwhelmed with the awe of these little creatures that we can forget that we are called to parent with eternity in mind. We can easily find ourselves listening to many voices and especially the inner emotional voice that just wants to hold and cater to that child at every whim. Who here doesn't understand the coo of an infant or the wonder of a, a toddler, how it can melt a soul? 
It's natural to be loving and tender towards your children. I mean, the minute we hear a cry, we want to show compassion. We want to make everything all right. But just a warning, it's an overindulgence of this in the wrong moments that can make you blind to your child's sin and deaf to advice about them. Training ourselves to be focused on the bigger picture helps us to remember our eternal goals and helps us withstand the unwarranted cries of an infant or the manipulation of a toddler. At age four, my son, we were walking home from a friend's house and discussing the concerns of the inappropriate use of the word but. (laughs) Casually, my son says, it's okay, mommy. I won't say it at our house, but maybe it's okay at their house. I was baffled. I mean, I could choose to believe this kid's a genius. Or the truth, the reality, that he was not only being manipulative with his reasoning and justifying wrong behavior, but even speaking some relativism. I remember thinking, I was just out-reasoned by a (laughs) four-year-old. Ladies, we and our children are in the battle of truth and unbelief together. Don't ever be a god caught off guard in the reality of iniquity. Grace is a governing principle in child training. And as our heavenly father gives us grace, we extend it to our children. Vodi Bakken, he calls baby, have you guys heard this? A viper in a diaper. (laughs) He says one reason God makes them so small is that they won't kill you. (laughs) And one reason he makes them so cute is you won't kill them. Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Anyone who has watched a tantrum can testify to this truth. J.C. Ryle states, our hearts are like the earth on which we tread. Leave it alone, and it's sure to bear weeds. Many of the instructions we give our kids are about self-control. Put that down. Don't hit your brother. Don't interrupt. Listen to mommy. Stay in your bed. Don't throw that on the floor. No one can deny. Think before you act is self-control training in a child. It is essential to be proactive and spend lots of energy on the front end. If you yourself are self-controlled, you'll find there are a whole lot of situations you'll never end up in because you've made wise, restrained choices in the early years of training. Now, I'm sure some of you have heard of the motto, obey right away, all the way, with a happy heart. Obviously, at one or two, they will not cognitively understand the wickedness of their heart. They won't understand that the command to come is a protection boundary, not only physically, but spiritually. So practicing first-time obedience is necessary. My friend's training of self-control, I witnessed her recently in her two-year-old daughter. Mom gave a command, come here. Her two-year-old refused. Mom walked over to her with gentleness and said, mommy said to come and you didn't obey. And she gave a consequence. She asked, what do you need to say to mommy? She helped her. I'm sorry, mommy, for not obeying right away. Will you forgive me? Yes, I do forgive you. I love you. Then she had her try to do it again right away. Okay, go back. Okay, come to mommy. This time she came right away, and mom said, yay, good job, obeying right away. How many times have we done that? Yeah. <laughs> good job having self-control. 
Now, not, now I know not every time looks like this. I have seen her persevere through lots of tears and calming down hugs before trying again. I have seen many consequences in one incident. But that is all fine and expected because what we're really training is disobeying brings consequences. By this, they start to realize, I do have a choice. I can express, express a different response or emotion than the one I'm currently acting out. In the beginning, our kids require us to step in and hold the boundaries. But our end goal as parents should be to move from the management of us to the management by God's grace of the Holy Spirit. So one important key in this is not just correcting wrong behavior, but putting on right behavior. Just like Paul exhorts us, don't just put off evil desires, walk in the Spirit. In the early years, please don't fall prey to over-explanation. We tend to talk to our children through everything, and we overcomplicate it. Like another friend says, we need to train, not explain. As cognitive thinking grows in your child, your self-control training will automatically move from working on behavioral patterns to character training. And around four or five, why didn't you obey? Gets introduced as reasoning matures. Consequences are always a hot topic with parents. But ladies, remember, we must train in the whole counsel of God. And the scripture is clear in this area. Consequences are part of a created life. It is crucial for your children to learn this early. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shames to his mother. We don't want our children to get accustomed to getting their own way. The Lord uses discipline to reveal our sin to us. This is how we as parents reveal the truth of the need of a savior to our children. When a child does not feel the consequence of their sin, he will not understand that sin requires a punishment. The Lord provides a way to salvation and forgiveness through Jesus, but that means very little to someone who does not see their own sin. Ginger Hubbard states, if he understands his own sinfulness and repents of it, he would be able to govern his own behavior rather than me always telling him what to do. And J.C. Ryle, no part of them should be as dear to you as that part which will never die. It's important to avoid power struggles. Trying to force your child to do something won't teach self-control. It only shows them you have none. Explain what negative consequences will be if your child makes a poor choice. Then let your child make that choice. We know why children act the way they do. We shouldn't allow their actions to tempt us to sin. Say, when you pick up your toys, you'll have more time to play outside. Follow through with the consequence if they don't pick up. But don't yell or try to force them into compliance. Be ready to cancel play dates and extra activities if needed for lack of control. Now, I know this can be extremely hard, especially when mom wants to go. But this is when the bigger picture training helps mom to be wise. Eternal over temporal desire. Don't give your children everything they want just to avoid a conflict. Learning to wait patiently for things develops self-control. Never reward a temper tantrum. Whatever your children is doing that has a temper tantrum, make sure 100% they won't get it. Read out loud to your children. 
Forcing your child to sit still and listen helps develop self-control and patience and attentiveness. Play the response game during downtime. Run through scenarios with them. I don't know how many times Tim and I sat on opposite sides of the couch saying, come to mommy, come to daddy, have your hubby call at you and you call your hubby. Get creative and innovative in the struggles that they are having. Show them how it's done. Require your children to stay quietly in their bed once they've been tucked in. Having them stay in their beds even when they don't want to helps develop self-control. I have known moms that have put digital clocks next to the bed or those cute little clocks that go, ah, the little lamb clocks. <laughs> when they're allowed to get up, letting them know that it's time that they can come out. If not, a consequence. What do good habits have in common? First, we don't always like doing them. Second, if maintained, they tend to bring positive results. It is the first characteristic that helps to build self-control. Every time your kids engage in a good habit, they build their self-control muscles a little bit more. We can do this by encouraging responsibility, establish morning and bedtime routine, help them to learn it on their own, take pictures of them doing it, get creative, put them on the wall. A four or five-year-old can do this. They can pull beds up on a cover. Now the bed's not gonna be made exactly right, but they can pull those cubbies up. They can bring a dish to the kitchen. Positive, provide positive attention when your child demonstrates self-discipline. Point out the good behavior you want to see more often. For example, if your child didn't hit his brother, not good job not hitting your brother when you were mad, but good job using your words and solving the problem. There are a lot of helps out there that can make the training of self-control fun and creative and most importantly, help your children proactively learn to put on godly behavior. I love the character training cards by September and Company. I like the way Rachel Jafkinick explains controlling their emotions to her little girls. She says, their feelings are beautiful spirited horses and they are the riders. And God gave them a path. And a good rider knows what to do when the horse tries to bolt. You pull on the reins, turn the horse's head, and you get back on track. Wise Words for Moms is a great resource, too. If you're unfamiliar, maybe a friend would know, or I can help. I had to laugh a few weeks back because I was talking at church with a friend, and my 30-year-old married son comes up, and he automatically puts his hand on my shoulder, <laughs> letting me know he was there, but in self-control waiting his turn. Ladies, don't underestimate the power of training or the lack of it. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. As mom, deep down, we want to know that we're doing God's will. We want to know we are being faithful. Start by evaluating your training techniques and ask yourself, are they biblical? Is what being taught building biblical character into my child or is it counterproductive? Pray for wisdom to discern. Speak to your husbands, then step out in faith in a purpose direction. The wise woman builds her home, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. You know, as I continued to read that beeper study, it went on to say the answer is willpower, and they have discovered that we have an infinite within us to do that. That's where the study went from dumbfounding to satanic. I'm just curious, how many of the Beeper contestants left that place anxious 
and depressed with no hope. Praise God that the biblical view of self-control goes way beyond willpower. Praise God that it goes beyond what we can do on our own. Our heart's desire above all other desires, if we're a Christian, is to glorify Christ. We don't want our children to learn that it is just about saying no. We want to tell them and show them the reality of the inadequacy and emptiness in doing things our own way. We want to model the trust we have in God's promises to supply the power for every good work as we act in faith. We are a people of hope. And scripture is clear there is only one with infinite power and our self-control, success, lies in relationship to him. Amen, right? Let's pray. Oh, Father, you are so very good. All your ways are good and true. There is none like you. You have given us new life through your son and all we need to walk through it, Father. Your word and your spirit. Lord, I pray the women here, as they discuss and they ponder what you brought forth this morning, that you will reveal yourself in a new way to each one of them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.